Good evening, all of you out there. Steve Perriman again. Before the first game against Chelsea, we'd just beaten Man City at home. So on a confidence high, and why not be in top of the league? Of course, that's not the case now at this stage of the season, having just come off the back of two defeats, one at home to Liverpool and then away at Brighton. So now being on a confidence low is a real understatement at best. A number of vital mistakes in our defence helped Liverpool to get back on their recovery road and a weak, dull, lifeless performance with no spark against Brighton encouraged them to their first home victory and at least a smell of the start of a run of form to try and give reason to the possibility of avoiding relegation. I personally think that they have too many good players for that to happen. And yet I must own up to something I said last week when listing the Brighton players who'd taken my eye this season. I mentioned their centre-back Webster, assuming that as I hadn't heard of him before, that he'd come up through the ranks and being new to the team and so coping very well in a, in a struggling team. Well, for once, the stats and info given out by the commentators put me in my place when they mentioned that the rest of football was a little surprised when Brighton forked out £20 million to Bristol City for this signing. Maybe, just maybe, I've been asleep for the last six months in lockdown mode. Uh, but that was certainly one transfer that passed me by, obviously. Anyway, that's my opinion over with for today. But the reason I liked him was because I'd seen him run the ball out from the back in between and in the middle of two opponents to be able to set up his own midfield players free with his pass instead of all this passing square across the back line to each other going nowhere fast. I hate it when back line players waste possession and yet don't take enough responsibility on the ball, especially when they've had the experience of playing in centre midfield, like Eric Dyer, for instance, having been in midfield and then go, go into the back. Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about when the defender is clearing his lines. Yes, get it away, and sometimes that's under pressure. You can't be too choosy where it goes, as long as it relieves danger to your goal. I am talking about when the back players have full control of the ball and don't use it effectively enough, even though we're not under any real pressure, who either then kick it long to a 50-50 situation further up the field, or allow a centre midfield player, his own team, to come back and take it off their toes. And with that goes any responsibility to help the flow of the team's passing. So welcome again to Howard and Tom, both very busy people, helping us deliver this podcast in fine fashion. So either of you want to start with any comments about the Brighton game? 
I think we all end up saying pretty much the same thing in one form or another. Yeah. It was it was a dispiriting affair to watch, and it must have been dispiriting to play in it. And when players are under that kind of pressure, they don't deliberately stop trying, but they don't try the way they did in a, in a, when things are going well. I'm also very, very confused with Jose. I don't know what, what his plan is. He's been there over a year now. We expect somebody of his calibre to have a decent, decent squad together and to be going, going forward. And all I can see is we're going back, not, not improving as we've gone. Uh, you know, you, you run through the entire team and say how bad things are, but they are bad. And I don't look forward with any relish to the Chelsea game on Thursday. Thank you, Howard. Tom? Yeah, same. I mean, sim- similar to the words you just used um, about the performance. I I tweeted last night saying it was speculative, aimless, half-hearted, and at times it even felt a bit pathetic. There was very little to get excited about. Um, like Howard, I'm a bit confused about some of Jose's tactics and what he's actually what his plan is at the moment. We were at our best previously when we had uh, Dyer and Alderweireld um, at the heart of the defence. Uh, we looked more confident bringing it out then. And then Sissoko and Hoiberg were playing really well together in in that kind of um, deeper midfield role, letting the, uh, the attacking players um, express themselves a bit more. And right now it just seems like we've we're not even playing that kind of system anymore. We, I don't know what we're playing. Every time I see the starting lineup at the moment, I'm thinking that it doesn't really make much sense to me from a system or strategy point of view. Um, and then the output on the pitch doesn't do much to dispel that feeling. So, um, yeah, I'm nervous about Thursday. But then again, we've been here before and we often turn it around when we least expect it. So who knows? Sure. Just just before you start again, Howard, um, just for me to finish off on that, um, I, I'm a person that doesn't believe that players don't try. And I think you both agree with that. But I do think there's an inertia takes over when the confidence is low. They are so lax. And I've been there. You're so lax to make a mistake, you actually don't do anything. And that's a problem. When that gets into the team, that becomes a bigger problem. So, Howard, let's go on to nicer things to talk about. Uh, You've got some memories from a previous game, I think, an FA Cup game at Stamford Bridge, eh? That's it. In amongst the terrible history history of our record against Chelsea from the 80s to today, we struggle to find something uplifting. So today I'm returning to Chelsea v Spurs, March 1982, FA Cup quarter-final. Spurs were the cup holders, having won the cup in unforgettable fashion the previous May, with the greatest cup-winning goal ever seen at Wembley, scored by Reiki Villa. Chelsea were in their rightful place, Division 2, but had beaten the favourites, Liverpool, in the previous round, and now they were seen as giant killers taking on Spurs. Clearly, it's not far as the crow flies from North London to South West London. However, Spurs were not able to be so direct, and for whatever reason, the coach taking the team ran into difficulties. The players had to change in the coach, and as soon as we arrived, they had to go straight onto the pitch for kickoff. However, once the coach did arrive... The ref decided he didn't like the shorts Spurs were wearing, so he had to use a set of Chelsea shorts. Clearly, Spurs were not ready as the game took off at a great pace. Chelsea then scored direct from a free kick just outside the area. We were one down at half-time. 
There was a Chelsea handball just outside the area. Aussie touched the ball to Glenn, whose shot was saved, but not held by the Chelsea keeper. Steve Archibald, following up, slotted the ball home one all. Some lovely touches between Aussie and Hazard laid in, in, into the path of Glenn, who shot from outside the box into the corner. 2-1 up. Glenn repaid the compliment up, passing perfectly for Mickey Hazard, who scored in similar fashion. 3-1 up. Chelsea scored again, but too little too late. Spurs won 3-2 and were in the semi-finals. With Chelsea being in the second division, this match, along with their earlier defeat of Liverpool, was clearly the biggest match at Stamford Bridge for a while. It appeared to us that they had oversold the game as there were lots of people without seats. We saw an old acquaintance, a Chelsea fan, who was struggling to find a seat. He didn't ask. He simply moved along the row and squeezed himself in between Viv and me. When Chelsea took the lead, you might think he would not gloat too much if they scored. But oh no, he was <laughs> full on in our faces, kissing Vivu, who did not welcome his attention. It made it all the sweeter when we won and observed him making a very speedy exit at the end of the game. Well done, Howard. Thank you very much. Well, I'm, um, I'm returning to Stamford Bridge with my memory of a game. Um, unfortunately, a defeat, just in case all you lot out there are getting too positive now. Um, this was February 27th, 1994. A uh, very important London derby for the wrong reasons. Aussie managing uh, Spurs, of course, and Glenn Hoddle managing Chelsea, uh, aided by Peter Shreve. And if you remember, Glenn did have the chance of taking the Spurs job before Aussie was offered it, um, but turned it down because of the, the doubt that he had about... Uh, the wonderful Mr. Sugar. Um, so to set it up right, I watched this game on, on YouTube. I suggest if you want to lift about how a game is played and the tempo and the fire and the passion, just put in February 27, 1994, Chelsea v Spurs and I, I wouldn't normally say this about a game that we lost, but I'm telling you, I really enjoyed it. To set the scene, Teddy was injured, so Rosie, Ronnie Rosenthal was up front on his own. Um, Mabsy, um, this was his return game after his horrific injury in a collision with John Fashionu's elbow. And Mabsy would have been out for such a long time and very welcome back into the team. End-to-end -end game, very competitive. And after 17 minutes, the commentator said Tottenham were the best team, settled into the game quicker than Chelsea. Steve Sedgley put us 1-0 up. And also after more intense pressure, um, Jason Dazelle header to put us 2-0 up about a minute later from Dean Austin's cross. I think it was Darren Anderton's cross for the Sedgley goal. Then if you can remember him, a lad called Spencer should have got a red card for Chelsea for a very, very nasty challenge, which ended up with Justin Edinburgh having to be substituted. He was about a yard over the ball and you you watch it, don't, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not taking that too far. Um, uh, and the fact I mentioned Justin Edinburgh there, uh, God bless him, rest in peace. Uh, 
Sol Campbell came on for, for Justin and uh, Chelsea got back into the game. The crowd were just about, well, we're actually starting to get at the team and the deflection of uh, Jason Dazelle with a shot um, to the goal by Mal Donaghy. And that's a memory for me because I had no, no knowledge of Mal Donaghy playing against us for Chelsea. So that deflection took it past Ian Walker. Hmm. Then a sting goal from a corner to level up 2-2. Two, two. two more big chances that we missed. And then Spencer again, who I remind you should have been off the field, scored a great goal. Two wonderful saves then, one by Walker and the other by the Russian Chelsea goalkeeper to keep the scoreline 3-2 at halftime. This was a really open game, end-to-end, -end, almost like a basketball game. Second half started the, the same way, and Sol Campbell, who was playing left-back instead of Justin, his height was proving vital and necessary on the far post for headed clearances. And Ian Walker really earning his money with some, some very decent saves. Andy Gray came on for uh, Dazelle. Uh, then Chelsea conceded a penalty very quickly. The penalty was one of those strange ones given, given away by a defender who, when he jumps, jumps with his arm up in the air. And the referee rightly gave a penalty. Andy Gray, it surprised me watching it, scored, number one, that he took the penalty. It didn't surprise me that he scored because he hit it right down the middle quite quite pacey. So now a, a real breathtaking game, 3-3. And Sol Campbell had a, a wonderful header saved. Then a penalty for Ronnie Rosenthal. We got Ronnie in from the halfway line. He's now 1v1 with the goalkeeper. And the keeper pulled him down. Another obvious red card, but you judge for yourself. Andy Gray took the second one, two, which I am not a lover of, the same penalty taker. Again, he hit it straight, and the goalkeeper did dive, but he's, the body that was left behind, uh, it hit him. And um, again, remember, the goalkeeper should have been off. Dean Austin gave away a penalty right in the last knock-ins uh, for Chelsea to score the winner, uh, despite Ian... Walker dive in the right way. So as I said, it's on YouTube. Um, give yourself, give yourself a chance by watching it to see that I'm not, uh, I'm not overhyping the game, and I certainly don't like highlighting a defeat. Uh, but if you're going to lose, if you're going to lose, and no one likes that, let it be in this way. So let's hope that. Jose can restore some confidence and belief into the players for this next game and give us a controlled, aggressive, competitive edge that's always needed in any encounter with the Chelsea boys. Thanks for listening and many thanks to the fantastic input again of Howard and Tom with also Ella and Will to be thanked um, in putting this podcast cast out to add hopefully some substance to your memories with one win and one loss both at Stamford Bridge.
I've had something sent to me lately, uh, a message that said, tough times don't last, tough people do. Now, this is not about our football worries or disappointments. It's about our lives at the moment. Just dig in and do the right things. Well, actually, that could apply to our team. So up the Spurs, let's get in them. Let's get at them on Thursday. Up the Spurs, I say it again, we love you, but it doesn't mean to say that we don't get upset by you either. Uh, see you next podcast. Bye-bye.